0: Hello and welcome to As We Like It, a podcast about Shakespeare films adapted to the screen for movies or TV. I'm Avon. I'm Mark. And I'm John. And today we're going to be talking about Antony and Cleopatra, the 1972 film starring Charlton Heston and also directed by him, and Hildegard Neal in... The title roles of Anthony and Cleopatra, and a number of other secondary characters played by Eric Porter, John Castle, Fernando Rey, Carmen Sevilla, Freddie Jones, Peter Arne, Douglas Wilmert, and Julian Glover and Roger Delgado, the last two names we like because
1: they were people <laughs> who were important in Doctor Who. <laughs> 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 I think that's probably all we need as a setup. And Charlton Heston had a hand in the adaptation of the text as well, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Yeah. So this is very much a Heston auteur film.
2: <laughs> I think it was the first film he directed, and I read that he had asked Orson Welles to be the director, and Orson mm-hmm. Welles declined. Right. Now that would have been interesting. I thought. I thought about how would Wells play Antony and Cleopatra. I had a hard time imagining it actually. It's one of the great what ifs, I guess. True.
0: So none of us had seen this before.
2: No. No. I, th- I I take it a l- I take it a lot of people haven't seen this film. <laughs> yes, yes, it doesn't seem to
0: have done terribly well at the beginning, nor been
1: nor have people been very interested in it since. No, I don't think it had been available on DVD until
2: relatively recently. Yeah, yeah, right. Its release in the US at the time was quite limited, uh, much to the chagrin of of Heston.
0: Right. So starting with you, John, what did you think?
2: I boy. I have lots of thoughts about this film. (laughs) I don't think it was a terribly good adaptation of Antony and Cleopatra, largely because I think the title characters, Antony and Cleopatra, who are very complex and larger than life, uh, were very flat, uh, as played by Heston. And Cleopatra by Hildegard Neal was pretty unmemorable uh, for one of Shakespeare's probably top five characters. Uh, this is mm-hmm. Cleopatra's play in many ways, and I didn't get a lot of Cleopatra, and nor did I get uh, the play's erotic energy. It, it felt a bit stiff, uh, and <laughs> the wrong kind of stiff, though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> the Couldn't wrong. The, the, <laughs> very much the wrong kind of stiff. It was. It was kind of flat and. and a a bit dull. What did you guys think?
1: I agree with that. I was sort of underwhelmed by it. I mean, there was nothing in it that was terrible, No. you know, and No, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, you know, grotesque or sort of uh,
0: ridiculous or eye-rollingly bad or anything like that.
1: And, you know, many of the performances were adequate and, you know, the, you know, the, the cinematography of it was adequate, but you know, <laughs> it's sort of damning with faint praise there. I mean, there's nothing that really stands out in this production.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's very predictable in, in the cinematography and sort of setting. I mean, nice enough sets and nice enough set All pieces and, and decent locations. and mm-hmm. But nothing, you know, when, when you saw sets that were in Egypt, they were sort of obviously and predictably in Egypt and didn't do anything very interesting. And if, if you're going to spend a lot of money, and it was reasonably expensive to make, I think. There's a lot of extras and all of that. It just didn't seem to do very much for all that effort. Yeah.
2: It was very workmanlike, which is appropriate for Octavius Caesar, uh, but not appropriate for the uh, world-consuming appetites of of our title characters.
1: Mm -hmm. And I agree that this play is really Cleopatra's play. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is a fantastic role. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of boring. I mean, she was adequate. Now, let me just
0: say one of the very first things I want to say, and I want to I agree with you entirely. Mm-hmm. I didn't. She was nothing as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. She didn't really. She never drew your attention while on screen. No. She wasn't interesting. Her handmaidens were more character more, filled yeah, than she true. was.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but I will say that's partly because they didn't give her any of the speeches. That's true. They cut. That is true. So much. I was just looking just before we started at the text, they cut so much of Cleopatra's speeches, so much of her, not just speeches, but conversation, Mm -hmm. her scenes. What they left for Neil to do was, you know, she did it adequately, but I don't feel like I can blame her necessarily. I just, I'm not sure she was great, would have been great anyway, but I can't blame her for not capturing the essence of Cleopatra because they just took everything away from her. She had nothing to do.
1: I guess it's Heston's ego that (laughs) kind of took over the
2: film yeah it's a very it's a very masculine play and i think that masculinity is important and matters but it's not uh counterbalanced with femininity and i think that femininity also needs to be expressed in antony's character as well as in cleopatra's character and cleopatra also needed some kind of muscle erotic muscle uh power muscle and she as you noted uh even was dispossessed of even the opportunity to flex any of them. Um, yeah. So the, the, I think that in Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra, I find Antony and Cleopatra to be very difficult characters to understand. I don't, in good ways, I don't really know their their moral and psychological core, other than their other than their sort of larger than life appetites. I, I don't mm-hmm. even I don't even know if they're Uh, erotic appetites are necessarily pure infatuation with each other as much as sort of the world, Alexandria, Rome sort of conquest. Um, And it was all masculinity and it it didn't have any of that femininity in Antony or Cleopatra's character. And so that's, it it was ironically, ironically, that made it flabby.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, and, and I think, I mean, the thing about Cleopatra, And I do have a bit of a hard time divorcing my consideration of the issue from a historical point of view versus from the Shakespeare. So, you know, I have my views about who Octavius really was like and Antony and Cleopatra and all that. But setting that aside, setting aside the real historical characters in the play, the other thing about the play that is completely eliminated in the film is Cleopatra's political and royal force. So the scenes they cut, not all of them, but many of them are ones in which she shows concern for statecraft, for politics, for uh, for military advantage and military strategy, where she undertakes the business of the kingdom, where she like calls in ministers and tells them what to do. Even at the end, when, uh, when Caesar is there and talking to her and offering her mercy, he says, in the play, there's a big long scene where she gives him a scroll that outlines all of the treasures of the kingdom and calls in her treasurer to say, there, didn't I? I've told him everything we own and I've given it all to him. And the treasurer says, no, actually, you kept back more than enough, more than twice what you told him there's there. And she gets mad at him. And she says, I was just trying to protect the country. And, you know, so in other words, there's a big, long section where she's being a queen, where she's in charge of a country and she's talking as a queen to the conqueror, and there's sections all the way through like that, right? In the very, very first se- uh, scene, Act 1, Scene 1, when the messenger comes to sit them. First of all, there's a dialogue between Antony and Cleopatra that they've cut some of, in which she's just more interesting. And then second, they come in and the messenger says, uh, there's a messenger from Rome, and Antony says, I don't want to hear it. And Cleopatra's like, well, but we, you should. Maybe Caesar has something to say. Maybe Fulvia has something to say. Wasn't there something important going on? I think you should listen. Probably there's something interesting from Rome. Let's hear the news from Rome and he says, "No, no, no." And finally says, "Stop nagging me. I've got more interesting things to do." And dismisses the messenger. That totally changes the characterization of those of both of them it in does. that scene.
2: I'm nodding very aggressively. Other moments where I think I think she more symbolically exerts political power. Mm-hmm. Uh, is when a scene that was cut is when Cleopatra suits Antony up for battle, which I think is an amazing scene mm-hmm. in which she again is a masculine force. And when I say masculine here, I really mean she's exerting historically masculine characteristics outside the oikos, if you will, um, yeah. in in the public sphere. And then uh, and then the big battle scenes. But one of the one of the great mysteries of Cleopatra as a character in the plot is. When she decides to flee in the battle of Actium, right? And right. so we see her on the ship and we see some of the characters talking about how it's not proper for a woman to be on the battlefield. Now in the play, she has a, I feel like it comes across as much more robust that she does have military and political power and stratagems and mm-hmm. has a place on the battlefield in spite of the resistance. But in the, in Heston's adaptation, she just kind of seems like a a ditzy plaything on a ship, and we don't yeah. get that we don't get that that feeling. And when uh, Anthony loses the battle, third battle I think there's three battles in the mm-hmm. play. Or the last kind of two battles are kind of blurry. But um he, she appears on the battlefield, and then he delivers his you know. I'm so ashamed. I've, I've been defeated. Mark Antony has fallen, kind of thing. And here he races on his horse to the castle to uh, accost uh, Cleopatra that he's been betrayed. Mm-hmm. And those are very significant adaptations that really uh, disempower uh, Cleopatra as a character, in addition to the very explicit uh, linguistic political maneuvering that you identified, even.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And that scene where she's practicing with a bow. Yes. I mean, that's just it's just insulting.
2: They gave her that
1: little toy. They gave her a little toy <laughs> yeah. bow. And she's all dressed
0: bow. up like a, like a man, but not. And she's clearly a figure of scorn to everyone around. Mm. And it's made to seem like all she's doing is she's a woman who's playing at war because she thinks it's kind of cool and has no idea of the stakes involved, no idea what's important. And then she seems to be party to or be completely fine with Anthony's bad decision. Now she could, that's okay. Like making her complicit in his bad decision to fight by sea. Mm-hmm. She can be wrong. I don't have a problem with that in the play or even conniving or something, but they make it just seem like all she cares about and all she knows about is like pleasure and sex and frivolity. And she's doesn't really understand what's going on at all and that's just not the Cleopatra of the play and it's very far from the Cleopatra of actual history and it's it's just insulting
2: (laughs) and her sexuality her sexuality is political too I mean throughout the play uh, sex is depicted as a kind of war and you know I, I suppose you could play a Cleopatra who's being ditzier and oh, isn't it more funny? But the actress would have to show Cleopatra putting on that role as mm-hmm. brilliant political maneuvering. And that, that, it could be done. It's an interesting choice, but that's not exactly how it was, not okay. in any way how it was presented in the film.
0: Of the men, many lines that are cut out, some of them also are, for instance, discussions with her handmaidens about Caesar, the original Caesar. Right. And t- comparing Antony to Caesar and and making that sort of acknowledgement that she played Caesar, or she used Caesar for what she needed from him. And now she's with Antony. And Cleopatra is sort of saying, no, no, it's different now. But those scenes, then, if you have them in the play, highlight for the audience that, yes, she has used her sexuality, but she's done it for the good of Egypt before, and for her own power. And maybe she's doing that now. Because I think that's, you're right, um, John, that one of the things about the both characters as their motivation is always a little hard to tell in them in the play and i think it's one of the central ambiguities of cleopatra is is she driven truly by love or by politicking to what extent is her ensnarement of antony a deliberate political maneuver a sort of a cynical uh, approach to him or to what extent is it just pure real passion and i think that's really up in the air mm-hmm. in the play i think the play in the end comes down to a little bit on the side of passion, everybody from outside seems to think that, but even at the very end of it, she's more concerned about her not being brought through in the streets in triumph and is trying to you know save the treasures of Egypt and is concerned with her pride in her position, so I think it's left up in the air. but in this in the movie, it's not up in the air at all because you don't see any you see very little motivation from her, but all you see is her moaning about antony
1: and do you think the actress is too young? to really have that kind of authority.
0: Well, I think there are young actresses who could.
1: Probably could. Yeah, I suppose. But I've,
2: yeah. But it it lacked, uh, regardless of uh, numerical age, it lacked uh, a kind of maturity and sophistication Mm -hmm. that could be played regardless of age. You know, and further further to the point uh, about the evisceration of Cleopatra... Mm -hmm. The soothsayer, who plays a very minor role early in the play, is given a lot of roles throughout the play. Heston substitutes the soothsayer for um, the soldier who takes uh, Antony's blade out of his right. Uh, right. wounded body. He, The soothsayer also presents the asps as opposed to the amazing clown and that like bizarre sexual comedy at the very end. Mm-hmm. And so what happens, I feel... The choice to play up the soothsayer suggests that their downfall is about fate and is about inevitability. Now, These things are always going to be in the background, I think, in any sort of Roman drama, and any Elizabethan drama for that matter. But Antony and Cleopatra have so much agency. They're yeah. powerful and active agents. And making the soothsayer sort of the the man lurking in the background uh, takes takes their downfalls away from them. I mean, really, most of the play is Mark Antony having, like, a four-act tragic decline. Yeah.
0: Um, and making a large number of choices which have very specific consequences, not being pulled along right. by the tide of history. Like, he makes choices again and right. again and again where he could have made a different choice. It was really very open for him.
2: Right. Yeah. And he had opportunities to change his mind. A random soldier approached the mighty Herculean Antony and said... Let's not do this by sea. Yeah. Not Enobarbus, Not Eudobarus saying this. Not Scara saying this. We're talking. I think in the play, he's just called soldier, and <laughs> and, and that's a meaningful thing. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. who, who dare approach? Who dare approach the great Antony with advice like that? That's. Yeah.
0: Uh,
2: I mean, it's a, Heston.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and I was going to say, you know, one of the the sort of comparisons that think about the play that that always c- comes to my mind is it's like it's like a, a middle-aged version of Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Right? Romeo and Juliet are young and at the mercy of everything, right? Mm-hmm. They they have no power in their world and they're caught up in, in forces that are way beyond them. Mm-hmm. Whereas here you've got you know, these established, powerful adult figures who are um leaders of their country leaders who of the are country. absolutely
0: have every single kind of power. Yeah. And yet
1: their their love scenes, they're kind of carrying on like a couple of yeah. kids. You mm-hmm. know, they're they're in that in that sort of foolish, funny stage of their romance. Mm-hmm. And it's that contrast that's really interesting.
0: And then the ending is even plays with some of the same elements as Romeo and Juliet, because that's what I thought of with her faked suicide. Yeah. And his real suicide, and then the final then realizing, then real oh, she's not su- dead. <laughs> yeah, and then her real suicide yeah. as a result of it. So it, it even plays with that. It does. Yeah. No, that's a really good point.
2: I've not thought of those two plays uh, next to each other like that. That's a really interesting mm-hmm. uh, notion. I
0: I thought of that with the ending, but I hadn't sort of I hadn't drawn the larger conclusion, and I think you're right. And then the whole thing about fate that you just brought up, John, becomes important becomes there too, because yeah. they are star-crossed lovers. Antony and Cleopatra are not star-crossed. No, they have in that sense they have so much agency. They have so much agency, and they had many choices, and you know they had lots of ways to have that relationship work if they wanted to.
2: Oh, they were. I mean, they were. They were demigods. They were recognized as demigods in their day. I mean, Mark Antony would have been probably discussed in godly terms, would he have not been? And same for Cleopatra.
0: They well, they actually in Egypt anyway. They had uh, they got themselves enthroned as Osiris and Isis, and uh, took part in religious rituals uh, as Osiris and Isis. I mean, Cleopatra as pharaoh had that role anyway. Right. But she married. I mean, they married in Egyptian ceremony. And yes, and then they had children, who of course are not mentioned in the play, but they had children and they were presented as the children of the gods as well. And No, they were actually semi-divine in Egyptian terms, not in Roman terms. Uh, Antony, they weren't really quite down that deification road yet, but yeah, these are not people who are like the fools of fate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right,
2: right. I was thinking about uh, the challenges I had with the adaptation and how mm-hmm. I, I think it misses the mark of the spirit of Shakespeare's production. And I was trying to find, so what is what is interesting and redeeming mm-hmm. about it? And and what I found was, I couldn't think about Mark Antony, played by Charlton Heston, as anybody else but Charlton Heston. He is Charlton Heston. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really occupy other characters as a superstar, uh, even mm-hmm. even back then. I guess Ben-Hur would have been almost... Yeah, fifteen years old at that. point.
0: apparently, the naval footage, um, the naval battle, was from used yeah. some of the footage from Ben Hur. Yeah.
2: And so I was, I was wrestling with this. I go, I, this is Charlton Heston to me. This is not Mark Antony, and mm-hmm. again, you know, as I said before, stiff for the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> uh, that I couldn't register anyone, Antony as anyone other than Charlton Heston. I think is interestingly ironic in that. In the world of the play, Antony is a powerful, larger-than-life figure, and his downfall is, is, is a kind of a world event in the Roman sphere. And Antony is always to be reckoned with on his own terms. Uh, so it's kind of fitting that I can only reckon Heston as Heston. So mm, yeah. you, you have, I, I, I suppose it's a, in my mind, it's a subtle point. Uh, at least it's, uh, subtle for me to articulate, but, um, for the wrong reasons, it's interesting to see a very masculine uh, presentation of a hero of a man um, in Heston alongside Anthony. Um Do you guys have any thoughts on that, or did you guys struggle with Heston's acting and, and and separating him out as Heston?
0: Well, I was what I was had been just about to to ask was what then if this movie if he cut so much of cleopatra and he made it so much about antony then the question is what who is heston's antony, antony yeah. what did he want to make of antony why did he want to play this antony why did he want to do this movie um and i think that that gets to hmm. what you're asking you know what did what does heston see in himself that is antony or see in antony that is himself and just before maybe we answer that the other point is that he had played Antony twice before on screen, in mm-hmm. *Julius Caesars. Julius Caesars, yeah. So he's he clearly felt a, a connection a, a to connection the, to Antony. To the character, yeah. So I mean, what is it in Antony that he sees? Hmm.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think it is the the sort of the powerful man, mm-hmm. and perhaps something about the wronged lover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> perhaps, or the man Interesting. who. Whose one flaw is loving too much, Yeah, perhaps, right, if right. you want to put it that way. I mean, that is the Antony that I was trying to think, okay, what is... Because I agree, there's a certain woodenness to it, the portrayal. And I, I never felt massively invested in him as a mm-hmm. character, but he was very Heston'y. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so who is the Antony that we saw on screen? And I think what he is, is he's a manly man who is swept up by physical passion. Because the Cleopatra was shown, and this is where I get back to, sorry, I can't help just talking about Cleopatra more. But the Cleopatra was shown, because all of the interesting parts of her are left out, Mm -hmm. the only thing that can seem attractive about her is her physical looks. You know, the Antony was shown, apparently loves Cleopatra because she's sexy. Mm -hmm. Because that's all. Like, what else are we shown in Cleopatra that would attract that man? who could presumably have any female he could possibly want.
2: I, I barely got the sexual attraction out of the two characters. No, I know. What? I'm I'm
0: left with sexual attraction. Yeah, the only what because what else is there going to be? I mean, she is pretty, you know, so <laughs> she's very lovely.
2: Their depiction wasn't very passionate either. It was, I guess it was maybe moderately passionate for a, a big budget movie. It but. felt
0: like that kind of a sort of, um, that sort of dated sexuality where yeah, there's yeah. that certain period between the fifties and the seventies where the big screen epics, you know, there's a lot of passionate clutching of one onto one's bosom and things like that, but not very much actual sort of charisma mm. between people. Yeah. It's, it's kind of gauzy and
2: filled with string crescendos. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, but yes, it certainly didn't feel like anything, but you know, the Cleopatra, both of history and of Shakespeare is a Cleopatra who has fascinated the most powerful men in the Mediterranean and men who not only could have any woman that they want as a sexual object, but did have many other women, both of the men she attracted were married the entirety of the time that they were with her, both of them had other lovers, and yet she fascinated them. So you've got to have a woman, the, the Cleopatra has to be someone who is
2: interesting and she was not and she was not interesting
0: <laughs> have to be powerful in presence and in force and in intelligence and the Cleopatra of the play and certainly of history, even through you know octavian's um bad publicity for her, is a Cleopatra whose intelligence matches the intelligence mm-hmm. of the men who are matched with her and the dits we saw on screen who just swanned about putting on makeup a lot yeah. and doing pretty much nothing else and <laughs> never got to say a line that was political never got to say a line about military strategy never got to be they cut out the bits where she for instance says i know antony's lying to me i about fulvia or the bits where he there's a whole scene where she uh, berates him for not seeming more upset that fulvia's dead and says you know if you married this woman and now you don't care that she's dead what are you going to feel like when i'm dead you know and and berates him for his relationships with women and Mm -hmm. sort of, and shows an understanding that maybe he is not uh, someone to be trusted, that he's swept up by his emotions and he'll just move from one to another. And that, you know, she has to be careful of trusting him too much and trusting in his, all of that kind of sensitive and sensible and cunning um, intelligence. We don't get any evidence of that. So now we see an Antony who apparently is willing to, like, throw his life away for this totally worthless object of affection. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he doesn't seem all that amazing for her to be so excited about.
2: His performance of Antony had uh, two notes. It had sudden outbursts of anger Mm -hmm. and then sort of stoic resignation and introspection and moodiness, yeah, yeah, a sort of moody, brooding, you know, mm-hmm. raspy voice testiness that was mm-hmm. it was it was it was lacking something. I haven't seen many other productions of Antony and Cleopatra, but it, it didn't have the it didn't have the nobleness that we associate with Antony, it didn't have the any sort of tragic heroism about it. it, it had. Mm-hmm. It had sweaty masculinity, but that's always going to be Heston. Um, but it—it it, it, lacked—it didn't an even oomph. have
0: the debauchery that it should have had.
2: Yeah,
1: the the, the sort of you know lustiness. He does. You, you don't believe that he's really caught up in right uh, Cleopatra physically. Physically, yeah. you know. Even that,
0: yeah. Well, and, and you know the descriptions of him. I really found myself thinking: there's so much telling, not showing. For a movie, yeah, which yes. should be able to but, do, you know, yes, you understand why Shakespeare has to do that sometimes. He has to like this. So the description of Cleopatra on the barge, which is an obvious place of telling, not mm-hmm. showing.
2: Which got moved way. It got moved. It got moved way later in the in the film, too. Moved
0: around. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that that description, which is a beautiful piece of poetry and does conjure up a beautiful image. And you can see why Shakespeare is like, well, we're never going to manage this. So I will tell you about it. Right. That's what I'm good at. Fine. But a movie can show you. So uh, I think a movie could have had that scene spoken and shown Um, it to you or. uh, But but what you get is you get told several times and they kept in the scenes where people talked about Antony's being so devoured with love for her. Hmm. But then when you saw them together, it didn't really play out. And you saw lots of scenes where Cleopatra talked about how much she, what an amazing man Antony was, but we never, we didn't get enough showing of that. And so you just left with this feeling like they had to tell you over and over again that this was a great love story, but the evidence of one's eyes (laughs) did not bear it out.
2: And and where and, and where we do see emotion from Cleopatra, it's actually just that. I, I think Cleopatra weaponizes her jealousy and weaponizes her emotionality. Mm-hmm. And instead we get her being upset that Mark Antony is gone, as opposed to being upset that Mark Antony is gone and using that as a way to, I don't know, tear apart the triumvirate uh and, you know, mm-hmm. claim power for herself, uh, in her amazing Cleopatra yeah. way.
0: Yeah, you see her as just, she's just always sad, or like there's never any layer to her performance. Mm-hmm. She is what she is, and you don't feel like there's any part of her that's thinking, how can I use this? What is this situation? What is this going to mean for me? She seems dumb, like, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. She did seem a bit dumb, and the scene where she has the most power is the scene where she berates the messenger for delivering the news that mm-hmm. uh, he has married Octavia, uh, uh mm-hmm. Octavian Caesar's sister, and it it just seemed it just seemed petty there it just seemed like yeah. an emotional outburst as opposed to cleopatra exercising power now i i do think in the text we we should have trouble reading between cleopatra's genuine upsetness with mark antony and his decisions and her her cunning and her scheming and her sphinx like sophistication,, uh, but here it was just she's upset and she's taking it out on the messenger and it just seemed inconsistent yeah. with Cleopatra's character
0: and the debauchery too I mean, Antony's a famously debauched figure hmm. in history, and in the play again, that's a showing a telling, not showing. We're told that he was debauched in Egypt, and there's scenes though they cut several of them out too. But the scenes where Octavian and Lepidus are talking about, you know, how he's just rioting his time away. But they never, like, they just lolled about on a bed a bit. Yeah. And oh, yeah. he wasn't wearing Roman clothing. Like, that was and the he, extent of it. And, and he then he feels all ashamed. Oh, I have to cast her off. I have to go back to Rome. It's like, what are you casting off? Like, yeah. that's just what you'd do in a villa at Rome.
1: Like, and one sm- small line that they removed that I thought was kind of telling was: there's a line about um, cross-dressing where she says, "Oh, that was a you know they were remembering a night when when he was away. They were remembering a night uh, when they of were revelry, together yeah. of revelry. revelry, and you know they got really drunk and whatever. And uh, she uh, said she put her clothes on him and and wore his sword mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. That was just completely removed.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's a very, it's a sophisticated line, too, because that also, you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, resonances to that because that reminds not all of Shakespeare's audience, but some of them would have known that that's a reference to Hercules and Omphale. And Antony modeled himself after Hercules and played with Hercules Mm -hmm. as this figure that he was. Uh, associated with and that excessiveness of Hercules and Hercules in this and one of his labors he ends up enslaved to a queen and and they famously frequently cross-dressed he would put on her clothes and Mm -hmm. she would try to lift his club and couldn't because it was so big you know there's this big story so this moment where she says that is a reference for a sophisticated audience to that whole Hercules background of the Mm -hmm. Hercules and Amphale, as well as the ludicrousness of of their exchange of garments and and then the playing with the gender roles and yeah. all of that stuff and power and and all the things that were he was being accused of by Octavian mm-hmm. in Rome
2: which gets further amplified by very important lines which i think they kept this line she has robbed me of my sword which is at once military and sexual and then i think one of cleopatra's most important lines when she's dying, she says, I have nothing of woman in me. And there's this – it's a very powerful sort of defeminization that, mm-hmm. again, talks about her, her, her political power. And, you know, you take away they these things. That, and they? they cut They cut that, yeah. And then they also cut um, – yeah. they cut so much – And that's also saying, a
0: reference to Horace, just for the reference.
2: Oh, to Horace. Ah. Yeah, that, that, that's <laughs> Well, I
0: mean, I, I don't know that – I don't know if Shakespeare is addressing Horace there, but I'm sure Plutarch was the, the source that he's right. using, where Horace says that she, she had nothing of a woman's fear when she killed herself in a very famous ode about Cleopatra and says she was a, a queen too noble to be led in triumph through the streets of Rome like it's a very very important part of her characterization that she had this more than womanly you know as you said assuming all of the gender roles of ancient Mm -hmm. the ancient world here but this more than womanly bravery and sternness to her and it's there's nothing of it they just take it
2: away from her her suicide isn't tragic either her her suicide is actually rather majestic and sort of Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. staged Um, throughout the play Antony has lovely poetry and as we said heston cut out uh, so much of his lines too not just cleopatra's but antony's mm-hmm. line as well and i think yeah. you you mentioned how the description of cleopatra and her uh, you know everything so gilded and the the the, the mm-hmm. splendor of her of her barge that that would help give the audience an image of how lush and erotic she is antony's poetry for Shakespeare and for us, I think is a very important way for us to understand his own uh, lavishness and his own eroticism. And you take away his poetry, you obviously make him more wooden. So it's just a, it was just another place where mm-hmm. cutting down the text so much gutted Anthony as a character.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't have the facility with language and that poetic imagination that is part of that, part of the sensual character of of Antony, that is so important to his historical and his uh, Shakespearean persona, and yeah, the shakes the you know the poetry, his flights of verbal imagination mm-hmm. are part of that. Obviously, they're part of any Shakespearean character, but if you take it away from him, then he seems like nothing. Uh, I was just even just looking at the very end because you'd mentioned that um, the last lines that Caesar says, the lines we end on. Mm-hmm. In the movie are she shall be buried by her Antony, no grave upon the earth shall clip in it a pair so famous, okay mm-hmm. the play goes on high events as these strike those that make them, and their story is no less in pity than his glory, which brought them to be lamented. Our army shall in solemn show, attend this funeral and then to Rome, but that last part isn't so important, but high events such as these. Yeah, these are high political events. Mm-hmm. He cut that out because there's no emphasis on the politics of it for Cleopatra. There is emphasis on that with Antony. With Antony, yeah. You know, there's all the war and there's the scenes with Pompey, Pompey. which are all mm-hmm. kept in. I don't know what they we gained from the scenes with Pompey, to be honest. But you know, I I would have taken more scenes with Antony and Cleopatra mm-hmm. rather than the scenes with Pompey.
2: Plot servicing, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and more warlike stuff, I guess. More ch- chances for him to wear armor. And the the text was cut in large parts, but it was also cut and reshaped and added to, which I thought was interesting, all the way through in little bits. Because uh, I was just watching a little bit before we started with the text in hand. And there are lines changed, like little things like thou change to you here and there and things like that. But also a bunch where lines are compressed. And what ha- so, you know, what was two and a half lines becomes one and a half lines just by Mm. taking out a clause here or whatever, or changing some words or rewording. So he reworded Shakespeare a lot, which takes a certain level of hubris, I've got to say. (laughs) Definitely. But one of the things I noticed from that was it spoiled the rhythm. Right. It took the poetry out. So a lot of the changes were no longer iambic pentameter. Now, I know they don't read it with the heavy verse or anything, but it's in poetry and it was no longer poetic. Mm. You know, it, didn't, it was no longer.
2: Um, Which is especially, written. especially, you would think Heston trying to go for such an epic production would want the elevated language, uh, mm-hmm. of poetry and of a play with such heightened poetry as Antony and Cleopatra mm-hmm. does. It's a very unpoetic production, and that made it yeah. unsensual and unbelievable, and not unwatchable, but unrewatchable. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah yeah and uh unimpactful, if I can point yeah. a horrible phrase I don't he didn't do that kind of changing to the big, really poetic scenes, like the the well-known phrases and passages. He didn't alter at all, most you know the ones he included anyway, but all the way through, there was lots of this sort of rewording done, and it just it it suggests someone who doesn't have an ear for what is most special about the play you know if you can change mm-hmm. it like that then it hasn't occurred to you that taking away the poetry would matter
2: yeah it's sort of like so it goes back to the question why did H- why did heston want to do this production i think that coming off of a film like ben hur he's obviously fascinated with historical mediterranean mm-hmm. epics i think that perhaps around uh, the early 70s he fancied himself a more accomplished actor uh, than Mm -hmm. he was. He was no doubt a superstar and a sex symbol and a manly man, but he's no, you know, John Gilgood. I think he played alongside Gilgood at one point. Mm -hmm. And so it's, so you have to ask why Anthony and Cleopatra and, does he? Did he read the play that literally as just a love story, as opposed to an epic political romance? Uh, I guess perhaps so. He thought, "Oh, I can be Antony, this tragic love figure." When it's uh, it's much more complicated than that. If he had yeah. dove into the play a little more, and it's a shame because you know when I
1: I'd never seen a production of this play before at all, um, neither on film or on the stage. And when I read it for the first time, the, the thought immediately came to my mind is, how could this be staged? This yeah. is a really unstagey play. You know, there's like a billion little short scenes and the the scenes change, you know, it, it totally the breaks the classical unities. The setting changes from, you know, all around the the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Um, from scene to scene. From scene to scene. And so I thought, you know, this is a play that is just begging to be made into a film. This mm-hmm. is This could be, you know, a fabulous film. Um, And so I was really quite interested to see it turned into a film. And I was so, unfortunately, (laughs) underwhelmed by the Mm. result. Mm -hmm.
0: And he had all the bits, right, for doing it because he had a big cast and he had... So the scenes that are so unstageable, which include, for instance, battle scenes. Yeah, battle scenes. Which are, you know, always laughable on Mm -hmm. stage. He could do and you could have full on... Encounters and yeah. camp
1: scenes and things like this and and yet he chose to do those cheesy um the dissolve
2: oh gosh, those were horrible yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the close up on the drummer too the battle scenes were pretty hokey yeah.
0: yeah and and I was wondering, like he must have spent so much money on horses, and you know it's so much harder to do to film cavalry battles than mm-hmm. it is to do infantry battles, I would assume, and yet. While the Al, you know, historically speaking, while the Allies might have had some horses, the Romans would have been on foot, almost certainly. You know, like, why why go for cavalry battles, which don't have any particular historical reason to do what he did in that, in the big culminating scene that didn't feel very culminating? And it must have been so much harder, other than, I guess, he probably thought he looked pretty heroic on a horse. Yeah. <laughs> how do you make, how do
2: you train a horse to fall down a hill? When his horse fell down the hill, can't, It didn't seem... I
0: don't know that you do train them, John. (laughs) I think you just make them fall down hills and you don't worry about putting that line on the end of the movie that says no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. That one didn't seem... That one didn't seem (laughs) right to me. I think this was before that.
1: (laughs) Gosh. What did you think of Octavian, by the way? He was actually one of the better uh, portrayals, I thought. He captured the the essence of that character pretty well. I think so too. He was he was
2: brooding. He was stoic. He was workmanlike. He was appropriately boring, and yeah, true to the true to the character in the play.
0: I, I agree. Um, I, I think it was a. Uh, I don't think it is a true depiction of Octavian, the historical personage, but it is absolutely a depiction of Octavian from the play and the Octavian that has come down to us mm-hmm. in certain historical depictions that's cold straight laced boring straight laced cold and calculating yeah very much roman a a person who takes no risks that he doesn't need Mm -hmm. to take and it made me so annoyed because he was played perfectly to offset a great big sensual joyful joyful that's what there wasn't any of there was no joy in antony no mirth and yes of course lots of the Lots of them play. He's no longer joyful. But the end and all the, you know, his downfall has to come. At the beginning, he should be joyful. Not just being non-Roman, but he should take everything as, every moment should be um, the greatest moment he is in. I am here. Everything is the biggest. And Cleopatra could have been that too. She could be reveling Mm -hmm. in that kind of sensuality, Or she could be a sort of, more careful user of her sensuality either way and then you could have octavian as you should have mm-hmm. as withdrawn and controlled and calculating and cold and when they meet with Lepidus in between going i don't know how to make this work mm-hmm. and agrippa trying to be you know the wise counsel. Mm-hmm. you could have that clash of personalities and i felt like they were trying to set that up by having it over the uh gladiator, gladiator combat, combat you know yeah. and to have this sort of hidden violence, not so hidden in the, you know, I, I thought that staging I, I could understand why they did that staging. Mm-hmm. You get to have this subtext that's not very sub, but because Heston's Antony didn't seem to have any of that passion, his foil was no longer a foil, it was just another guy yeah. doing the same chess game or something. There's the line
2: that Antony bemoans, I am full of lead, and uh, Heston Heston took that line to heart. <laughs> He <laughs> really did.
0: I I mean partly I think, you know, one can be uh, unduly influenced by per- certain portrayals. Mm-hmm. It's not Shakespearean, but have you seen uh HBO's Rome, John?
2: No, I I have been meaning to. I hear that the production was tragically cut short and people wanted more of it. Um but it's on my list.
0: Yes. It is really really good and in particular the Antony in that mm. see in that series is the Antony that I wanted this Antony to be. He is an Antony who is full of vigour and life, but is absolutely intelligent. He's not stupid. He's not some bumbling sort of brawny soldier. He's a soldier and he's a, he's a womanizer and he's full of lust, but he's full of lust for life, for food, for drink, for politics, for everything. Like Everything is fascinating and interesting to him. He's just the kind of figure that, you know, I can see it's so lacking in Heston's portrayal and that Antony or, you know, one which was appropriate for this kind of a movie. I mean, the the period is different and the kind of movie making is very different. But that kind of an Antony would have transformed that play. Now, he would have needed a better Cleopatra to match him. But you know, I'd love to see, and maybe we can make it our mission to see if we can find a good Antony. Clearer, yeah.
2: I wonder if so. The the Antony in Julius Caesar is a very different Antony in many ways. Uh, I've I've been thinking a lot about mm-hmm. those two Antonys in Shakespeare's hands together. Right. Antony and Julius Caesar is his rhetoric is out of this world. His uh, loyalty is um, admirable and his politicking and his public presence is, uh, you know, uh, of note as well. He's not in Julius Caesar, correct me if I'm wrong, in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, he's not as full of uh, life and he's not as hedonistic uh, as he is in Julius Caesar, Correct.
0: You know what? I would have to go back to the play. I haven't looked at it in a while. I'm just thinking
2: what what stands out is is basically his his masterful speeches and how good he is yeah. at um, politicking against. Bertis. Yeah, he's a good politician, right? But,
0: but I'm trying to remember because we do start off with him um, at the Lupercalia.
2: Yeah, it's true. We do. Yeah, that is true. He does have. He, you're right. He he. We have a reputation of his partying in the play. You're, you're absolutely yeah. correct.
0: So I'd have, to, I'd have to look more to see how much that's played up. And the uh, Lupercalia you know, was
2: a, a crazy, like, drinking sex event. Uh, I think it's related to Valentine's Day, too. So I wonder if
1: Heston's
2: yeah. understanding of Mark Antony was tracking the Julius Caesar political Antony, mm-hmm. which is just one slice of Antony, and, took and then that, took it into yeah. Antony and Cleopatra, because he had previously played him twice. Um, I could see Heston yeah. delivering that kind of a role better because it's a bit more one-dimensional. One right. Hest, Heston would have been Heston would have been a better Octavian Caesar in this play. I think that's he would have been better yeah. cast as a kind of brooding, methodical, down-to-business workman like
0: Yeah, know. though he was too he, he is too much a soldier though phys- physique-wise hmm. to be a good Octavian because hmm. one of the things about Octavian always at least in all the portrayals at this stage in his life in particular is that he's not much of a soldier and he's not a physical presence. Hmm. He's the man of the mind rather than Hmm. the man of, man of physicality, which is what Antony is in contrast to him. But, but yeah, I know what you mean. Like from attitudinally, he had that coldness. Speaking of physique,
2: one thing I will say is Heston was considered a hunk in his day, but to play a hunk now, you have to be absolutely ripped if you're a man without a shirt yeah. on in a Hollywood film. And yeah. it was very refreshing to see Heston, while very fit, not with like rippling abs and perfectly manicured yeah, hair and He looked and kind of human. He looked yeah. human. Yeah. I yeah. was like, all right. That's that's a man. I like, the,
0: I like the women who at the time still had to be perfect. True. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. There was the near nudity near scene. Near nudity scene, yeah.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I just had a look, and there doesn't seem to be... Uh, a definitive... Very many film... There No definitive film uh, mm. version of it, and very few film versions at all. There's some made-for-TV versions, right. but no big cinematic production. Huh. This I mean, is it, basically.
0: I, I mean, there is obviously the the issue of how do you film it, you film and it? or how do you do it, and, and it would be have to be a big production because it does have all the Egypt scenes and all of the battles and things, but, but you could also cut, like you could do, you could do that thing where you cut a bunch of the battles and report them and Mm -hmm. like there's ways around that.
2: Well, there there is a lot of messengers in the play too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's too, that's too bad because I'd really, I mean, I know that there's a a lot of division of opinion on the play Mm. about how good it is. There are people who think it's his worst, one of his worst plays and there are other people who really like it. And I think those structural problems you were talking about, Mark.
2: Yeah, some will say it's his best poetry. It's, it's his last great tragedy. It's his, you know, farewell to hyper-interiority and Mark Antony in ways it rivals Hamlet in some sort of ways in terms of its exuberance. Uh, there's no exuberance. There's no joy. That's the other word. There's no exuberance in Mark Antony either. Um, no. Because there are no words. Um, but I, I guess the I guess the major challenge too is how do you play Cleopatra? How do you mm-hmm. you act mm-hmm. a role, but you also have to be Cleopatra acting as Cleopatra uh, to get Bloomian about yeah. it?
0: Well, I mean... Wouldn't it be wonderful to see a really good actress play that
1: role? Start this production by start with your actress, yeah, and
0: and she would be, she should be in her mid thirties, historically Historically. speaking, like by because she was, um, in forty four. Sorry, forty nine. Uh, she was, I think, thirteen or fifteen, something like that, when uh Caesar came to her at Alexandria, and when she was delivered in the carpet, it was she was in her teens anyway. I. I might be wrong on exactly, but she was less than 20. And that was in 49. And then this is in 31. So she should be, you know, it's about 18 years difference. So she should be in her mid-30s. Okay. So you don't need a fresh-faced, you know, mm-hmm. child actress. There's a lot of 30-year-old, 30, 40-year-old actresses out there who could be amazing in this role, don't you think? Mm-hmm. You know, Shakespearean actresses and also just ones who have been, you know, strong,
2: yeah. interesting women. The play's right for a modern update too. You could do very interesting things with uh, Cleopatra's political power. She's long, Cleopatra as yeah. such has long fascinated, but I I mean, I when I was doing um, Shakespeare Confidential last year, my way into Cleopatra happened to co- coincide with uh, Beyonce's Super Bowl halftime oh, yeah. performance where she, yeah, right. where most people, AKA, you know, white audiences didn't really understand what she was doing, but she's politicizing her sexuality uh, with black, like mm-hmm. black, with, uh, you know, black power and black lives matter imagery. And it, it, mm-hmm. it was incredible. You could do all sorts of incredible things. I'm, I'm surprised actually that there isn't more going on with this play.
0: Mm-hmm. You could make it updated. You could make it a strong female character. You, there are no not pretty actresses out there anyway. But <laughs> there aren't really any actresses who are superstars who wouldn't be beautiful because mm. they're all beautiful. But historically, anyway, we're told that Cleopatra was bewitching, but not particularly classically beautiful. Right. So you don't even, you know, you don't need. I think people maybe are thrown by the Elizabeth Taylor.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the and clock, they want, yep.
0: they need, they feel like they can't cast a Cleopatra who isn't that sort of stunning perfection physically, mm-hmm. somehow. And
2: I could that's see the not what you need for her. I could see the the Israeli actor who played Wonder Woman, who is. I, I could see that yeah. working well. Who has a who has a presence that isn't just. I mean, obviously, she's gorgeous, but she's not gorgeous and And she's a person she's a person she's not gorgeous in white western terms i could even see this is crazy but i could i would be very interested to see somebody adapt antony and cleopatra with like antony as kanye west and cleopatra as kim kardashian and looking at the ways in which say kim kardashian uses her uh Mm -hmm. apparent narcissism as political and cultural power, because she is a very powerful woman. She takes one picture of herself. It can kind of change the world in a way. And and Kanye West as this, Kanye West as this, you know, given the work he's done uh, musically and uh, in terms of lyrically and how he kind of steps on his own feet in his and the risks he takes as well and the bad decisions he makes as well you you could you could do that and it could work and it would be interesting and for some reason people want to do these things literally
0: Mm -hmm. you could turn it into uh instead of political power into commercial power power. you're talking about you're talking about a power couple yeah you know an absolute superstar power couple who can rule the world but not Militarily, because that's not how the world works anymore. right, but
2: culturally taste making wise
0: consumerist power, their mm-hmm. their ability to to influence consumer <laughs> actions, basically. um yeah, so I mean, I, I agree. I think you could do it as an adept like as a a reimagining mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. but I'd also love to see just a filmed version of it, a, you know a, a proper like grand yeah. various uh, filmed mm-hmm. ones, which are not film stage productions, but proper films. Mm-hmm but that just stick to the text, adapt it as necessary, and then let me see those figures. I did see an Antony and Cleopatra long, long ago at uh, the Stratford Shakespeare Festival. And I was a teenager. I don't remember it really well. But I remember being really affected by the play and finding it very moving. It was set, uh, they used World War II settings um, Mm. in terms of military garb and all of that. And, you know, I, I came away from that thinking that Antony and Cleopatra was a great play because the staging was so because it was so well done I do not remember who the actors were I'd love to see something like that yeah on screen and you're right it's interesting that it hasn't been done and I wonder if it is because the Cleopatra story has overshadowed it so much or if it's because it's thought to be too hard or people don't like the play or because it has too much of a good female character in it it's too good a female role to dare put on screen i wonder if
2: that's why brenna hasn't tackled it i think anthony is probably a very interesting character to brenna but anthony see brenna could be a good anthony he'd be a, he'd be a great anthony but would he want to share the screen with Cleopatra, who <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that's a always good...
2: outstages him.
0: Yeah. Would he want to be overshadowed right. by Cleopatra? Because yeah. I think yeah. he should be overshadowed by Cleopatra. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, Branagh is not a, a man of small <laughs> ego. But it's unfortunate because he could be he could be a good Antony. I
2: he think. could play the hurt ego and then take the stage back if he damn well wanted, um, yeah. all right, we're gonna
0: he could, he could go back and forth. Yeah,
2: we're gonna to go to change.org and anyway, make a petition. Brand okay. off to do Hamlet, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: but we have to find him a good Cleopatra.
2: Yeah, it's um, true.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. So if anyone's if anyone's listening and wants to give us their dream casting for Antony and Cleopatra, because <laughs> I really am intrigued now about who those people could be, and I have such a I'm so bad at keeping up with contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, same st- here. Who's an actor, and actress in the world right now that I I don't even want to st- throw out names because I. I'm so out of touch. But that, I'd be interested. But we can only hope. Who has that, uh, yeah. An opportunity.
2: Exuberance. Hmm. I'll have to chew on that one.
0: Right. Well, I think maybe we should uh, let, put an end to... Let Heston rest now, in peace. At yeah. that point. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so... I'm I'm glad to have seen it because it is one of the few Antony Cleopatras. Mm-hmm. And because... You know, it's. Seems... I like the play. So. Yeah, and I love the like play too. Thing to have watched, mm-hmm. but
2: it made me appreciate the text a lot more. I will, I will close on that note. While it's not, I didn't. Yes, I appreciate the effort, uh, but mm-hmm. you have a lot more work to do, Mr. Heston, before you can actually properly treat Antony and Cleopatra.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in this scope of adaptations that we've seen, I don't think it added anything to the text you know, it didn't add to the play. We've talked about many of these Mm -hmm. that have brought out new themes and brought out the only things I came out of the movie with as new appreciation of the play was because I went back to the text to look for things that were missing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's really all I got out of it.
2: I do want to give a shout out to one person and that's the guy who played Alexis, which is one of the serving men in Cleopatra's court who was wearing that, Delightfully '70s uh, blue kind of toga jumper thing, and he he had the jaunty <laughs> he had the jaunty flamboyance that I think we needed to see more of. But he was he was jumping right out of the '70s there. So good work, Alexis, <laughs> <laughs>
0: and his haircut too.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was perfect. Felt like a disco toga party, basically.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back next month. With another Shakespeare, probably Cymbeline, I guess. Ooh,
2: yes, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Sounds
0: good. <laughs> Bye for now.
1: Thanks for listening to As We Like It. You can find more episodes and more information about the show at extracurricular.com and find more about Avon and Mark's other projects at alliterative.net.
0: If you enjoyed today, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher, as your five stars can really help us reach new listeners.
1: You can reach us all on Twitter. I'm at Alliterative. I'm
0: at Avensarah, A-V-E-N-S-A-R-A-H.
1: And I'm at John Vox, J-O-N-V-O-X.